This week we finish up foundational truths. We've been going through Hebrews chapter 6, 1 through 3. And so let's reread that and uh, kind of by way of recap, look at these six things that are uh, described as foundational truths in Hebrews chapter 6. So it says, Therefore let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. And again, leaving the elementary teachings doesn't mean to forget the elementary teachings, but to have them in the bank. You know what I mean? Like, it isn't to forget how to add and subtract. It's to be able to also add and subtract, but add multiplication and division to it. You know, and then after that, we're going to get into algebra and, and geometry and little calculus, differential equations. We'll go, we'll go the whole way, right? We'll get, we'll get into all kinds of fun stuff. But we need to, if, you, if you're trying to do differential equations and you can't add and subtract, you've got serious problems. And that can be something that's true spiritually, where the, the core foundational truths are things that we can actually forget and then be trying to work with other details, but we need to be standing on a firm foundation. So here are those six foundational truths. Not laying again the foundation of, number one, repentance from acts that lead to death. So this was our first week, repentance. It's the way that prepares the way for the Lord, is repentance. It was John the Baptist's message. When John was put in prison, Jesus continued the message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, and is true in our lives personally as well. When we repent, it paves the way for the Lord. The kingdom of heaven is near when we repent. In the Old Testament, the word that's translated repent, the, uh, the Hebrew word is the word to turn back or to turn around to turn. It basically is reminding the nation of Israel to go back to their roots in the Lord, to turn back to God when they have wandered. In the New Testament, it's a Greek word, uh, which is the word meta-consider. So it's basically to rise above your life, look at the direction you're going, look at your motivations, your hopes and dreams, your thoughts, your desires, your emotions, look at your whole person, and then decide, you know what? I, I'm just going to go all in with God. I'm going to do things God's ways. I'm going to give my life to Christ. I'm going to walk with God to reconsider uh, which direction we're going and to go with God. That's repentance from acts that lead to death. So if we're trying to advance in the faith, but we haven't just decided to be all in with God, then we're not going to get much farther. The second one is faith in God. So faith in God is really trusting and believing that God is good, trusting and believing that God has a good plan, trusting and believing that if the scripture says something that we don't understand, we can believe it anyway because he's smarter than us. And that's faith. It's trusting God. That opens up the power of God in your life. Verse two, instruction about baptisms. So we looked at there's a lot of things described as baptisms in the in the New Testament but three that we looked at was the, the baptism in water, baptism of repentance, John's baptism that then became Jesus' baptism, uh, a baptism in water, identifying with the death of Christ, the old is gone, and then coming up, born again, the new has come. So that baptism of repentance, going from walking away from God to walking with God. 
And then we talked about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, the immersion in the Spirit of God, the the great heart change, the great communion with the Spirit of God. We also talked about the Holy Spirit baptizing us into the body of Christ, giving us spiritual gifts and abilities that we're to use in the in the group to to advance the kingdom of God as we are one body with many parts we're brought into that body and we're part of something bigger than ourselves that's the baptism by the holy spirit into the body of Christ then we talked about the laying on of hands which is uh something that is a foundational truth here in Hebrews but doesn't happen a whole lot in modern Christianity and it's basically impartation it's the giving of something uh, from one person to another through physical touch and there are a variety of things that are imparted in the scriptures it's an Old Testament and a New Testament concept this impartation and things like blessings Jesus took the little children placed his hands on them and blessed them Things like a commission, the, uh, you know, Paul and Barnabas were in the group and they're all praying. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me, uh, Paul and Barnabas for the work that I have called them to. So then they all, uh, they placed their hands on them and sent them out. They commissioned them to go do this particular work, which they didn't even know what it was, but they were sending them off on their missionary journeys, uh, Uh, The laying on of hands for the impartation of the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts we see. We see the laying on of hands for healing and a variety of other things. But it's it's an impartation of something from God. Through the laying on of hands, it's a, a connection between people. It's why we have people come up for prayer at the end. Then, then someone can lay hands on you, pray for healing, pray a blessing, just pray for God's presence to be there. Uh, it's, it's the laying on of hands. Um, and then this week, we've got the last two, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. So today we've got resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment and then Hebrews 6, 3, and God permitting, we will do so. God permitting, we will progress beyond these things, having them down so that we can move forward without forgetting our foundational truths. So let's pray and let's get into this new material here this morning. So Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for each one that's here who's braved the cold and battled through and their vehicle started or they got a ride from somebody else. And so Father, thank you uh, that we're all here safe. And Lord, we pray for uh, all those who aren't here. If there's people that wanted to be here but their car wouldn't start, Lord, we just pray blessings upon them right now. And and, uh, Lord, that your peace would be with them and that you'd keep everybody safe. And uh, Father, just... uh, I ask that you'd bless our time now as we dig into your word. Lord, we've got some, we've got a little bit of a scary thing to talk about with eternal judgment. And so, Lord, let this be good. Let this be life-giving. Let us grab hold of something good from you because we know you are good even when there are difficult subjects to talk about. So, Father, bless our time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment you know, eternal judgment can be a little difficult to talk about. It's a, it can be a, a very heavy uh, emotion, uh, uh, emotion eliciting. Is that a good word to use for that uh, uh, thing to talk about? And so uh, we need to be a little, a little careful, but we also need to deal with it. So we're going to take a, a good, strong look at eternal judgment. And I just want to warn you, it's going to start off harsh 
and then it's going to turn, and then it's going to get way better, okay? So don't get up and leave in 15 minutes, or you'll think that this is just the bad news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The reality is it's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but you've got to get saved from something. You know, salvation doesn't make any sense if you're not saved from anything. We must be saved from something, so we're going to talk about what that is, and uh, then we're going to get to the good news. But uh, let's talk just... For a moment about the resurrection of the dead. Now there, I don't know that I've met a Christian who didn't believe in an afterlife. You know, it isn't part of our theological debate whether or not there's an afterlife. In Jesus' day, there was a big debate on whether or not there was an afterlife. You know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, that was one of their main contentions. The Pharisees believed in an afterlife, the resurrection of the dead. The Sadducees did not. The Sadducees were super legalistic, strict, devoted followers of God who did not believe in an afterlife. Let me ask you this simple question. If you knew God was real, and He had the keys to wisdom and knowledge and blessing, but there was no heaven to go to, it was just this life, would you seek after the things of God? The Sadducees did. For all the uh, bad things that are said about them in the scriptures, because they, they were kind of missing God, of course, they wanted to know God even though it was just for this moment. What a beautiful thing. And we, of course, have so much more. We have this moment with God. What an incredible blessing that is to walk this life with God and then to believe and know that this is not all there is, that we have everlasting life through the resurrection of the dead into the everlasting kingdom of God where there's no pain, no tears, no parting, no sin, no darkness. Man, it's worth it. Amen? Amen. So, let's talk about eternal judgment. Because resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment are tied together. Um, one of the things, you know, like the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. We really don't have that debate. What I see us, uh, the primary error in modern Christianity is really a pretend error because everybody knows the answer, but everybody pretends something else. And that is basically the pretending that everyone goes to heaven. We all know everybody doesn't go to heaven, right? But we all pretend everybody goes to heaven because it just hurts too much to face the reality of Heaven and hell. Heaven is great. Hell is a disaster. Um, the, I was going to talk about this at the end, but the, there's one reason why I became a pastor. One reason. And that's because I cannot stomach the idea of people going to hell. And I want to do whatever I can do to prevent people 
from going to hell because that is ridiculous. Every human being was created for everlasting life in the paradise of God. That's what we were meant for. That's our destiny. We have to miss our destiny in order to go to hell. And that is just not something I can stomach. And I was extremely uh, introverted, so I I knew I would never tell anybody about the Lord unless I was backed into a corner. Let me tell you, when you're on this side of the pulpit, you are backed into a corner because everybody's looking at you expecting you to say something. So I figured, well, I'm going to put myself in that position because I know I've got to say something. And I know if I'm just standing there in a group, I'm just, I'll wait till somebody asks me and probably nobody will and that'll be that. Now, as time has gone on, I've realized there's way more to it than escaping hell. There is grabbing hold of the goodness of God, the abundant life that God has, the glorious presence of God now. There is more to it than running from hell. And that's going to be the turn that we take here in just a minute. But let's look at the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 45, starting in verse 22. Isaiah 45, 22. This is Isaiah basically prophetically speaking and writing down a message from God. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Uh, By myself I have sworn, my mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that will not be revoked. Before me every knee will bow, by me every tongue will swear. So Almighty God says, here's something that will not be revoked. This is something you can hang your hat on. Every knee will bow before me. This is not just the people who are believers, not just the people who are ready to meet God. Everyone will bow before God. And there are two primary different experiences for people. Verse 24. They will say of me, in the Lord alone are righteousness and strength. All who have raged against Him will come to Him and be put to shame. So there are those who have rejected God, who have pushed God away, who have ran from God, and they will bow before God and be put to shame. Verse 25, But in the Lord all the descendants of Israel will be found righteous and will exult. This is the family line that we are adopted into as believers. We are brought into the family line of Israel and we receive the promises. So there are two very different outcomes. Let's look at uh, Revelation chapter 20, starting in verse 11. Let's go a little bit deeper into uh, this experience of every knee will bow, everyone coming before God for eternal judgment Revelation 20, starting in verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. How would you, how would you, we're going to be there someday where we're kneeling before a throne and earth and sky flee. That means that the created realm fades away and we enter into true reality, into the spirit world and we're before the great white throne of God. Isn't that going to be something? Verse 12. 
And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. So there's books. That's the recording of the things that we've done. And then there's the book of life, which is uh, something that can override things that are written in the other books. The book of life is the one that matters. You may have done a lot of stupid stuff that's recorded in the first books. That stuff can be forgiven. That stuff can be erased. But it's the book of life that matters. You get your name in that, then good things happen. Let's keep reading. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So, that's bad. What we want to do is get our name written in the book of life. And it's a very simple process. You put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the forgiving power of His blood shed on the cross, and then you pledge your life to follow Christ. Your name gets in the book of life. That's good news. That's where we want to be. Doesn't matter the mistakes you've made. Doesn't matter the lineage you come from. Doesn't matter anything about the past. You were created by God to receive everlasting life and have your name written. If you haven't had your name written in there, there's, I don't know if it's an angel, there's somebody there ready to write your name, wanting to write your name. All you have to do is receive the forgiveness that Christ offers and then walk your life with Him. Verse 16, or uh, 20, verse 1. 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Remember, they, they fled from the throne. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Jesus said he goes ahead and prepares a place for us. And here's the, the revelation of that. that it's happening. The, the new holy city is coming down in its incredible beauty. And this is just an amazing moment. Verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Isn't that all right? In this life, you will have trouble. doesn't matter if you're a believer or not. If you're a believer, at least you have some weapons to fight against the trouble. At least you have a shield to hold up against the fiery arrows of the enemy. But in this life, you will have trouble. But when the old order of things has passed away, it's going to be so much better. Next verse. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So we're going to be careful. Write this down. Let's see what it says. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. You thirsty? <laughs> without cost. Because the price was paid. Without cost. Because the Lord Jesus went ahead of us and paid our way. 
without cost to drink from the spring of the water of life. Verse 7, he who overcomes will inherit all this and I will be his God and he will be my son. So far, so good. This seems pretty good. Now, the word overcome here is very, very important because we have to fight for this. It's not going to just magically happen. There are battles we have to fight. Just like the nation of Israel, when they saw the promised land and it was full of giants, and they saw the giants and they were like, ah, we can't beat these giants, and they got scared and ran away. What was God's response to the nation of Israel when they said, we can't take the land? It was like, He was angry with them, and they wandered in the desert for 40 years, and they all died in the desert, except for Joshua and Caleb. He doesn't like that. We must be overcomers. We must fight. We must overcome evil with good. There's darkness to battle here, and we have to engage the battle. Or we get the next. Verse 8. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Isn't it interesting that the first thing on the list is cowardly? Would you, would, if I was to say, okay, give me the list of things that cause you to burn in the, in, the, in the lake of fire, the second death, who would have put while being cowardly? That's the first one on the list. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the second one is, is basically the ones without faith, the faithless. So the cowards and the faithless get thrown into the lake of fire. Why would the cowardly be thrown into the lake of fire? It's because the damage is the same. It's because if, if God asks me to do something and I desert my post and other people are destroyed because I ran away, the damage is the same. We cannot be cowards. That's why God was angry with the nation of Israel when they wouldn't fight the giants. That's why it's dangerous to disengage from God and say, oh, the church is all full of hypocrites. I'm going to stay home and watch football and not engage the battle because it puts you in that coward category. The deserter who is run. It's just not safe. We must engage the battle. You wouldn't, do you know why we have to engage the battle? Because God loves everyone that you can reach. Because God hurts for everyone that you can help. And if you don't reach them, if you don't try to help them, and you abandon that, God hurts for them, and you are accountable. We're going to get a little bit meaner before we get nice. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Let me ask you this question. Do people know ahead of time if they're going to heaven or hell? Some do. Are there people today 
who think they're going to heaven, but who are going to hell. That is one of the scariest things I can think of, is to be under the impression, yep, I'm set, yep, it's all good, and then you're not. Matthew 7, the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. You call me Lord, not good enough. What? (laughs) But only he who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, only the ones who come along with the plan. Verse 22, many, 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 it says many. You know, I, I hate the idea of hell. If, if I had a vote, I'd vote against it. My opinion does not matter. You know what I'm saying? God has a reason. I don't understand it. All I know is we're going to fight to bring as many people out of that danger as possible. Many will say to me on that day, these are church people. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? These are high-level people. Verse 23, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. God sees through religion. God sees through theology. God sees through all of that. Do we have a heart after God? We have a heart after God and we want to see God's will come to pass because we believe God is good, then, hey, it's all going to work out. But checking the boxes isn't good enough. You must love the Lord. They had no idea. They had actions, they had theology, but they didn't know God. You, You got any fear in your heart yet? The Apostle Paul encourages us to be afraid. We're just going to do Philippians 2.12. Just Philippians 2.12. The Apostle Paul encourages us to be afraid. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Fear of what? Fear of that day when you are kneeling before the great throne that earth and sky fled from and you have to give an account for your life. Books are open that it talks about all the stuff we did. Can you imagine that? Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The fear of God is good. Let's read Proverbs 1.7. Fear of God is good. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. I want to focus on the word beginning for just a second. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. When you're six years old, a lot of the times you do the right thing because you're afraid of punishment. 
I want to eat the cookie, but man, am I going to get it <laughs> if there's not enough cookies for everybody when it's cookie time. I better not do it because mom sees through me every time. I don't know how she figures it out that I ate the cookie, but I'm not going to eat the cookie because I don't want to get in trouble. The fear of the Lord is a good place to start, but it's just the beginning. Let's hit our turn here in 1 John 4. The fear of the Lord is a good place to start, to have in our minds what's it going to be like to kneel before God on that great day. The fear of the Lord is a good place to start, but fear must be made complete. 1 John 4, starting in verse 16. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. If you know you're going to kneel before that great throne, we know and rely on the love God has for us. Amen? I am so glad that God loves me. Are you glad that God loves you? Because we're going to kneel before an almighty God that is just, that is glorious and awesome, and that loves you. Man, that's helpful. (laughs) Who's rooting for you? Who wants you to make it? And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever loves, I'm sorry, whoever lives in love lives in God and God in Him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Confidence on the day of judgment. There's a turn here going from fear to confidence, going from being afraid of the day of judgment to eagerly anticipating the Lord's return and being excited about meeting God and being in the presence of God and seeing that great white throne and being there in confidence. Wouldn't it be great to have confidence on the day of judgment? Because in this world we are like Him. So here again we see, be following God. If you want to know if you're in... Here's, I've got my cute little phrase, my little litmus test. If you're in the kingdom of God now, you'll be in the kingdom of God then. If you're not in the kingdom of God now, you have no reason to believe you'll be in the kingdom of God then. Today is the day you make that choice, whether you want to dwell in the kingdom of God. Today is the day whether or not you choose to accept the responsibility of being a child of God, a son or a daughter in God's family business, which is the salvation of the world, or you decide to go your own way. Today's the day you decide that. If you decide that you're in, then you're in. We can have confidence. Verse 18 is huge. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So here we see that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom. It's a great place to start. It's like being a little kid who doesn't want to get in trouble. But let me tell you, there is a whole lot more to your relationship with God than being afraid of hell, being afraid of punishment. There is walking into the love of God and finding the goodness of God, finding the glory of God, and realizing there's something great to run to, not just something terrible to run from. 
There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. We're talking about the day of judgment. The perfect love of God, kneeling before a God that loves us, who we have pledged to live our lives for, that we have sought after and tried to grab hold of in this life, knowing He loves us, He's pulling for us, His grace is upon us, allows us to have that fear go away. And we can eagerly anticipate the glory of the moment of meeting God. Perfect love drives out fear. Now, perfect love does not drive out reverence for God. It does not drive out any of those things that we need to be fully motivated to serve God. But it drives out the fear. Then we can grab hold of the good things of God. So I'll say this, he who fears the Lord has nothing to fear. Because when we fear the Lord, it opens our eyes. We see him for who he is. And then we can get past that into the love of God. I want to read Isaiah 33, 5 and 6. It's back a little ways. Isaiah 33, 5 and 6. This is just a beautiful picture. The Lord is exalted, for He dwells on high. He will fill Zion with justice and righteousness. He will be the sure foundation for your times, a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. The treasure of a sure foundation Salvation, wisdom, and knowledge that is made complete by the love of God that casts out fear. I'm going to invite the prayer teams up. We're going to close. Who doesn't want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? A good and faithful servant is serving now. A good and faithful servant is fighting the battle now, is taking their position now. As I mentioned earlier, there's one reason I became a pastor, and that was to try to rescue people from hell. Because it just is horrible. But as I've served the Lord, I learned something else. There is that beautiful thing. There is that glorious relationship with God. There is that communion with God. Perfect love does cast out fear and bring us into something so indescribably wonderful that I can't imagine what that day will be like when we stand before the throne. just one more thing I want to do, and that is I want to make sure that we've got our names in the book of life, because we all make mistakes, we all do dumb things, we all try and fail, 
Some of us are redeemed and some aren't. Some of us are forgiven and some aren't. So we're going to circle back to the beginning of this series, which is repentance from acts that lead to death. And let's reconsider our lives. Let's look at who we are. Let's make sure we're not one of those people that goes to church, says, Lord, Lord, but that Jesus says, I never knew you. Let's walk in communion with God. Let's walk with God in this life. Let's be part of his kingdom now. Let's reconsider. In our closing verse, we're going to just do John 3.16 as our closing verse. Then we're going to pray. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We must believe. We must trust. We must put our faith in God. That is where we put our name in the book of life. Now, I'm, I'm not a big altar call guy. I mean, I'm great. I'll come pray at the altar. Hallelujah. But this is a long-term commitment, not a momentary emotional response. And so time will tell. I could count hands. That's fine. But I want you... To between you and God, you make a pledge to him. Because it's his opinion that matters, not mine. And let's just pray. Let's make sure we're on the right side of this thing. Then I'll open up the front for personal prayer. You can pray for anything you want. Believe God for any of these good things. But let's pray together first. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have made a way for each one of us. Lord, that... When we look at who you are and we stand in awe and we tremble, Lord, we are looking at a God that loves us, who has made provision for our failures, has made provision for our darkness, and has created an opportunity for us to be free from fear of judgment day. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross that our sins may be forgiven and that our names may be written in the book of life. Lord, forgive us. Lord, wash us clean. Lord, bring us into fellowship with you. And Father, help us to walk with you. Help us to be like you in this world so we can have confidence on the day of judgment. Help us to live in your kingdom now so that we can know we'll be part of your eternal kingdom. Lord, if there's, if there's something in our hearts separated from you, show us right now by your spirit, quicken our minds so that we can get rid of that and grab hold of the fullness of who you are. Let us not be separated from you. But Lord, let us know the joy of walking this life with you, never alone, never forsaken, never forgotten, but with our gracious, loving, powerful God. Hallelujah. We give you praise. We give you praise. Amen.